This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. Paragon City Games in Draper, Utah has a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll also find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. If you're near Draper, Utah, Paragon City Games is a wonderful place for the local magic community to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Whether you're looking for Magic the Gathering sealed product or singles you need to complete your deck, Card Kingdom has what you're looking for. With international shipping, my listeners in Canada, Australia, the UK, Germany, Sweden, Brazil, and Belgium can all enjoy receiving packages from Card Kingdom. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link when you shop. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm speaking with Brian Lewis, better known as the professor of Talarian Community College. The Professor created the Magic Community's most subscribed YouTube channel, clocking in at over 200,000 subs. The Professor started Tolarian Community College with reviews on card sleeves, deck boxes, and binders. Later, the Professor expanded to funny skits, card previews, deck techs, and community news. The Professor shares what it means for him to create videos full-time and his hopes for the future. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the esteemed Professor of Tolarian Community College. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today I am with Brian Lewis, better known as the professor of Tolarian Community College. Professor, how are you doing? Oh, hello. So good to be here, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are coming through right now on the interwebs. And where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Telaria East. We're right across the street from the mall. Uh, so if you want to come visit campus, you can park in the mall's parking lot. But I really advise that you walk through the mall first so they think that you're, you know, shopping there. Otherwise, you get a <laughs> ticket and then come over. No, I'm uh, calling you from San Francisco, California, that strange plane that Magic has yet to visit. And uh, yeah, it's about seven o'clock in the evening, just put the little one to bed with an updated tale of Hansel and Gretel. I got to the part where the the witch is supposed to get shoved in the oven, and I just had her complain about them eating her house, and they apologized and said they were just really hungry, and she was concerned that children were hungry, and they worked out a nice arrangement where they helped her with chores in exchange for food. I had to update it. I couldn't have them shove her in the oven. That was just kind of <laughs> cre creepy thing to say to my three-year-old. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So, you know, I know that you're a writer and so you've been just kind of cleaning up these old fairy tales. That's what I'm doing now. It was the first time you, it was the first time he asked me to just tell him a story that wasn't from a book. And he was just, I don't know where he heard Hansel and Gretel. They start to hear these things and he's like, tell me the story of Hansel and Gretel just from memory. And I was like, okay, wow, this is dark. Like the dad's abandoning them in the woods, which is why she leaves the trail of breadcrumbs. And so I tried to rework that. 
that because I'm the dad and I'm like, yeah, well, his daddy was sick of his kids and he was going <laughs> to leave them to die in the woods. Ah, that's horrible. I'm like, no, no, he's just taking them away to go work in the city because they're so poor and it, it just had to get rewritten. It's, it's a particularly dark one if you think about it. It is pretty dark. Yeah, you'll have to throw in like a, a gilder baron or something like that with his little basket of magical glowing things and be like, right. the gilder baron's in there picking up the breadcrumbs. That's why they got lost. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Professor, thank you so much for joining me. I really wanted to talk to you and uh, you are so well known in the magic community and congratulations on hitting 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you very much. That was unbelievable. When I hit 100,000, I honestly thought that was as high as it's going to get. I thought that's it. It's 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 not going to keep going. It's going to just be a small trickle of like maintaining that number and having hit 200, I I'm I'm honestly speechless, which for me is rare. That is so amazing. And we will talk more about that, but like all things, I wanted to get started at the beginning. Professor, where did you grow up and when did you start playing Magic? Well, I was born and raised in North Hollywood, California, which is uh, part of Los Angeles County. It's in the Valley, as they say. And I encountered Magic in high school. I think I was in 10th or 11th grade, and the set at the time was revised. It was getting ready for fourth edition to come out, I think, several months after I started. The next set to come out was Fallen Empires. The previous set to have been out, of which there were still some packs on the shelves, was Antiquities. Antiquities much better than Fallen Empires. <laughs> and uh, it was actually uh, a, a girl that I was interested in in high school, and she played Magic the Gathering. There was a little Magic the Gathering group, and so I learned Magic the Gathering as a way to kind of get close to this girl as an excuse to hang out with her and stuff. And uh, it turned into this game that has somehow shaped the course of my entire life. And so here we are now. But yeah, that was that was where I learned to play. It was back in high school, revised those dual lands that I sold for $10 each. I sleeved them even then. I used penny sleeves. I really did. Wow, that is amazing. Who taught you to play Magic? Well, that girl in high school that turned into my first girl girlfriend and uh, the other members of the playgroup that we all got together. We were in different programs. Our high school had the basic high school and then it was uh, a magnet high school. So, it had magnet programs. I don't know if people outside of Los Angeles know what magnet programs are. They probably have similar sort of things mm -hmm. throughout the country. I was in the uh, uh, zoo magnet program because at the time I wanted to be an animal biologist. Wow. And so, yeah. So, we were actually shipped out of uh, North Hollywood High School's main camp campus and to the Los Angeles Zoo, where we had animal biologists, zoologists, marine biologists as our instructors. And instead of taking basic, it was kind of a gifted program. And instead of taking basic uh, high school electives, we were required to take additional classes like AP biology, environmental studies, invertebrate zoology, animal behavior and observation, which was done in the zoo, things like that. I was in that program. There was uh, like, I think, a computer science magnet program, but we all were required to get bused back to the main campus for lunch. And we all came together and, and played magic. And that group, along with that girl, all taught me to play. I remember 
getting taught when I made my first deck and I did lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, and then two more lightning bolts. <laughs> and then was I was quickly taught you can't have more than four of any one card. And I said, that's ridiculous. I had built a deck that was 90% lightning bolts. I thought I had cracked the game. <laughs> uh, and so it took a lot of convincing, if I recall, for them to, I thought they were trying to trick me. But finally, I learned, yes, no more than four of any one card. Professor, why didn't you go into uh, zoology or, or animal biology? And instead, you ended up in English and as a writer. Yeah. Well, I learned uh, my whole life was geared towards being an animal biologist since I was in kindergarten. I wanted to be an animal biologist. And uh, when I got to the zoo magnet, I learned a lot of things. Uh, most of all, that animal biology is a lot of hard work and uh, an enormous amount of study and dedication. And it just was too intense for me at the time. And so I kind of fell out of science as a professional pursuit. It's certainly something I'm interested in in general. But uh, as a profession, I felt overwhelmed by it. From what I was seeing there, this was, I mean, a very, it was a gifted magnet program. And I fell into books, specifically fantasy books, which I think, and I'm just making this connection now on your podcast for the first time, but I think the reason I picked up fantasy books was because I was playing, oh my God, wow, I was playing Magic the Gathering and it was a fantasy setting. And so when I kind of realized I'm not going to be you know, dedicating myself to these textbooks. Uh, I went down to the Borders or uh, Bar... No, no, no. It was Crown Books. That's the, this was the 90s, dear children. Crown <laughs> book, crown Books and saw all the fantasy covers and, and became a fan of literature first through fantasy and then through just all of the written word. That's amazing. So... Yeah. What did you Magic do? really has shaped my life. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, early on, my first magic decks were like these really terrible mono black decks and they just had like random mind stab thralls in them and super garbage creatures. Oh yeah, a nightmare I hope you had, an, if it's mono black, I hope you had nightmare in it. No, I didn't. I, oh I did, no. I didn't even have nightmare. I didn't have like any, I didn't have any cards. It was like the worst, it was like all the all the chaff out of a draft that no one even wanted to draft at that point and it was like that in like Oh, so, oh so, so Fallen Empires in other words. <laughs> yeah. It was a bunch of that. And like, we didn't know how to play. So, my friend that I was playing with, he would cast Dark Ritual and then put Dark Ritual on the battlefield as like a permanent. And then he'd oh tap it for three black mana every turn. And I'd be like, oh wow, dear. Dark Ritual is so good. Yeah, that is. That's better than a Black Lotus almost. Yeah, you use it every turn? Wow. We definitely didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and, then, and then he would cast like like some edict effect and then he would and he would tell me which uh, creature he wanted me to sacrifice. <laughs> so it was like the best removal card too, which was hilarious. Wow. But Ama uh, amaz amazing with that sort of an opponent, you didn't give up on the game entirely. No, I did not surprisingly. I kept playing. <laughs> and Brian, I also wanted to ask, um when did you start Tellarian Community College? Well, uh, I think I'm going on about three and a half years now, uh, possibly approaching, I'd, I'd have to check the exact, I think it's in summer is when I started it. So, about three and a half years now. And I started it as a one-off where I just wanted to do one video on card sleeves because when I returned to the game, I remember being, they didn't have card sleeves back in high school. I did use penny sleeves and I, I really, my cards, those, those dual lands that I sold, whoever 
never got them from me. They were minty mint because I kept those in sleeves even before there were sleeves. That's that's how I roll. But when I returned, it was just like this enormous display of card sleeves, Dragon Shield, Ultra Pro, Max Protection, Legion, this and that, and the uh, 15 other companies. And I didn't even really fully get what they were because they were colored. And I remember that struck me as really, I saw like, I remember like literally the day where I bought my first magic product after coming back to the game. I was like getting my first booster packs again. And I was like, what are these? I didn't know what was in this brightly colored, pink, glowing Dragon Shield box. Is it like a coat of paint? Is it I don't know what this is that I'm looking at. And I was always very interested in keeping my cards in good condition because the artwork and the creativity and imagination that goes into magic cards is part of the biggest draw for me, more so even than the strategy and the gameplay. Not that that isn't important, but boy, do I get just drawn into the world. And so I want those cards to stay in as great condition as possible. And whatever my first set of sleeves were, I don't remember, probably Ultra Pro, I don't remember specifically, the tops of the cards I noticed were getting scuffed. And I was like, why is this happening if I'm sleeving? And it's like, well, they were short and there's friction. And when you mash shuffle, there's the chance that one sleeve is going to get caught by another card and it'll go in through the opening and scratch ever so subtly, but noticeably over time, the top of that card or little particles of dirt are going to get in and be like a boulder upon that piece of cardboard as you press that into your deck box. And I just went and I bought a different set of sleeves and a different set and a different set. And I was playing so much magic and making so many decks that I was really running through those sleeves. And I pretty much tried all the major brands and thoroughly used them and became known as the card sleeve guy at my local game store, where I knew what sleeves did, what they were good at, what they were bad at, which ones I preferred, so much so that the owner would just, when somebody came in specifically saying, I'm looking for a sleeve that does this, he'd say, just just talk to that guy over there. And I also noticed that this information wasn't out there, because I had to research it myself. I googled, I searched Reddit and MTG Salvation, and there were old threads, there are old Reddit threads that say, I'm looking for card sleeves, which are good, which are bad. And it's filled with a lot of people that say, oh, I use brand X. They're fine. It's like, okay, that's fine for you, but is that really the best brand? And then other people would be like, no, dragon shields are thick. They're, the, they're going to last the longest. They'd have the information I discovered, but it's getting lost in that white noise. And then the thread just disappears in a week because it's not permanently there. And I thought, if I made a YouTube video that just remained as a go-to reference, that would be an interesting project. And I just viewed it as a project. I was like, like you said, I, I, I wanted to be a writer uh, after the animal biology thing didn't come through. I was always a creator, an artist of sorts, and I looked at this as a fun artistic project. Make a YouTube video. I heard you got like two cents, you know, a month or whatever, and I thought if I can get to $100, because $100 is the minimum you need to make off a YouTube video for Google to send you a paycheck. If I could get to $100 over the course of a year, I could take that $100 and walk into my local game store and say, I would like one box of Magic the Gathering cards, and it's as if it was free for me having made this video. That was the goal at the time. Little did I know where I'd be a year later, but uh, uh, that had been the initial kind of challenge to myself. And then I, I made the video, I uploaded it, and then somebody said, what about deck boxes? 
I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about deck boxes. <laughs> and then someone said, what about playmats? I said, playmats, that's silly. Well, let me take a look. I was like, oh, actually, no, I, I should talk about these. And then it turned into, all right, I better cut or cover binders and binder pages. And, oh, some new sleeves came out. And, oh, some new deck boxes came out. And then someone said, how about a deck tech? I heard you talk about modern in the comments. Show me how to start modern. And it turned into doing a video once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week just kind of spiraled uh, out of control. <laughs> that is amazing. And you yeah. know, Professor, your your videos about double sleeving and deck boxes and also this one video about returning to magic, like this guide about returning to magic. Yeah. They're amazing because the, for me, you're talking about this wisdom that often magic players take for granted. Hmm. I know about sleeving. I know about double sleeving. I know about deck boxes, but I actually don't really know why. Until you lay it out visually and you say it. I played as a kid, but I stopped right around like Mercadian Masks and Prophecy, the, you know, the greats, the great yes, sets, right? right? Those are, <laughs> wow, how could you, how could you quit magic during such a golden era? <laughs> yeah, I know. And I missed all that amazing onslaught fetchlandness, right? right? You know, um, right. but I got back to, in it at Rise of the Eldrazi. It's funny because I also mm -hmm. missed Zendikar, which is more fetchlands. But anyways, right. I got back into it. And this was before your videos. And I, and I really, you know, like that information is so relevant because I, mm -hmm. I I watched it when it first came out and I watched it just like the other day and it's still relevant. I still say to myself, my goodness, I wish I had that knowledge before I like way back in the day when I was getting back into it. It's got a steep learning curve uh, in all aspects, magic. It's it's very, very uh, complex, sometimes even obtuse. And the problem is, is that a lot of, at least up until recently, I, I, I guess I was a big instigator of it, but it, it's so professionally focused. It's about you know, really intricate types of gameplay decisions and strategy, stuff that makes my head spin sometimes and I'm in awe of. It's, it's incredibly advanced and it's great. But then there's somebody who writes me and is like, I don't understand what a sideboard is, or I don't understand what goes in my sideboard, just just for a game, not for winning the Pro Tour. And and so you read a pro's article on sideboards, and it's like, well, let's look at the meta, and then this is going to be a, a two of because of this deck in the meta. And, and, and for somebody that just wants to go down to Friday Night Magic, that might be a bit too much. And so... I like to think that there is the area of knowledge that I focus on that's much more on the basics, which goes in line with the community college theme that, no, we're not going to be going over advanced stuff. We're going to just talk basics here, introductory, getting your cards sleeved up, getting your sideboard made, and uh, maybe tell a few jokes while we're at it. <laughs> I love it. And your jokes are fantastic, by the way, Professor. Oh, that's nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, I always... Humor's hard. Humor's hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works. I mean, it lands for me. I always get a Good. great kick watching your videos. Your videos in the first year that you were making them was all about the equipment, the swag, mm -hmm. the, the sleeves, the deck boxes, the folders, and they were all incredibly helpful. And you started talking about budget magic and they started to ramp up. And it wasn't until a year into it that you released your brand new logo, which we know now mm -hmm. as Delarian Community College. And for the first time ever, you showed your face. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. That was pretty much coinciding with the one year anniversary. 
story. Uh, I didn't want to keep the face a secret. It didn't seem relevant to me. I was actually surprised once I was making videos regularly before the one year thing that I saw a lot of other YouTubers who were not showing their face in magic. And I was actually a little surprised by that. I was like, oh, wow, look at all these other guys uh, that aren't showing their face. And I didn't intentionally withhold it. I just felt like the camera should be on the card sleeves. And it was when I realized I'd be doing it regularly and that I wanted this to become something that grew that I, I, I decided to, to, to start just appearing and talking to the camera. It was because I did want to make comedy skits. The first time I showed my face was in a, uh, my first comedy skit called Teach Your Friends How to Play Magic the Gathering. And I'm, I'm just kind of standing in a, I went into one of my classrooms and I, I, I was just standing there looking out of touch and exhausted and, and like a bad 1940s educational film with the bad film grain and projector bouncing. And I've got a pointer at the monitor saying no and yes and, and things like that. And, and I wanted to be able to do that. And so I need to appear on camera to do that. And then also, I think one year was also I was at about I think 10,000 subscribers and I wanted to give a thank you because that was extraordinary to me. I was now getting a couple hundred dollars a month in, in YouTube ad revenue or whatever it was. And, and so I, I wanted to do a thank you and I, I wanted to be able to look at the camera and say, thank you. There were things going on that silly ice bucket challenge thing went on and, and it was suggested I do it with cards in hand to see if double sleeving protected, which I did, mm -hmm. but I, I needed to be on camera in order to do that. And and so, it just was a natural, it, it wasn't something I was intentionally withholding. The same thing with my name. We were, I don't know if you're going to use that in the podcast from when we were chatting about it beforehand, but I, I just became known. I didn't ever actually decide consciously, I will call myself the professor. I never called myself anything. And then my friend Wedge at the Mana Source referred to me. He named me. Interesting trivia is that he actually named me as he wanted to refer to me in one of his videos. And he said, and the Talarian Community College professor, just because I was this nebulous voice at the community college. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm the Talarian Community College professor. And it wasn't until a later video where I, I was talking to the camera and I said kind of sarcastically like, oh, I know what you're all saying, but professor, professor, don't these boxes hold up anyway? And it, no. And and I, I guess that was my first time referring to myself loosely as, as the professor, but it just turned into a nickname or moniker. And uh, on my, I think, 100,000K Q&A, somebody said, what's your name? And I had no problem saying, my name's Brian Lewis. Uh, it's not something I'm keeping hidden. It's, it's a funny thing where I've heard some people kind of have this assumption that it's something I don't want known, which is a weird rumor out there. I, I don't know what that stems from, but sometimes people are like, oh, he doesn't want you to say his name. Isn't that right, Brian? And like, <laughs> like oh, no. Oh, you really got me there. Uh, no, I, I don't care. It's, it's just turned into a lot of YouTubers in particular. I've noticed as I've become a part of the culture, we have monikers or pen names or nom de pleurs or, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's just kind of part of the culture. A lot of YouTubers just go by their YouTube channel name or handle or or Twitch handle or whatever. And it, it turns into a second identity, which is very interesting because it is. It's, it's for me, been like a second life that has emerged, a new life, like I've been reborn. And so, I guess in a lot of ways, I do like 
that name because it's a bright life, whereas before it was very monotonous and it felt like it had kind of done everything that it was going to do. And so it, it definitely makes me feel good because I, I feel very lucky to have been accepted into this community in the way that I have. Absolutely. And I think that the community is also very happy. And also, we're very lucky to have you in this community sharing with us and, and making so many people laugh and enjoy the game in new ways. That's very touching to hear. I'm afraid I'm one of those people that has that horrible voice in his head that says, no, no, you don't. You, that's not they're not lucky to have me. You're lucky to have them and you should hang on for dear life and, and all of that. So it's, it's very touching and humbling to hear that. Uh, but it's, it's a tough thing to, to wrap my, my head around. Uh, cause I don't think of myself in that way. And you know, another thing that definitely I think that you're very lucky is that recently you became a father. You had a kid. Actually, I had my kid almost at the same time I started my YouTube channel. So I had two children. Uh, the, the, my kid is three and a half. Uh, uh, so, and yes, I am very lucky. He's wonderful. He's extraordinary. Uh, he seems to be an extrovert, unlike his introverted mother and father. So that's going to probably serve him well. Definitely, uh, we've both struggled with being introverts our whole lives. So having an extrovert son, he'll, he'll have different struggles, I suppose. Yeah. And and you know, what's funny is that uh, I've always been curious about whether or not I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I act kind of extroverted, but I feel like I am now an extroverted introvert. And, <laughs> <laughs> and recently when you were at PAX, you were posting videos and you were also doing a vlog and you were and you said something really interesting that resonated with me. You were like, you know, I, I'm having a great time at PAX, but I'm not really big about waiting in lines and it kind of makes yeah. me anxious. And I don't like waiting in lines either. I get pretty anxious too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of waiting in lines. I, I really have no patience for it. I, I, I have to get moving. I, I, I have to, like, when I go out to eat, if there's a line, I, I'm not having any of it. In San Francisco in particular, and I'm sure many other cities and, and places around the world right now, it seems almost trendy to have a big line to get into some coffee shop with three little tables. And I just want to shout to them, it's just coffee. There's 800 other places up the block that don't have a line that's where I'm going. Uh, so, no, not a fan of, of the line. The crowd, certainly big and intimidating and, and such. But, uh, you know, whenever I'm around magic people, I, I relax a bit. That's so cool. You know what's funny, Brian? A, a funny thing I learned about lines. I went to Singapore and I had never mm -hmm. been there before. It was a grand trip. It was wonderful. I went for my 30th birthday. And uh, Anthony Bourdain always goes to this one hawker center where is a big place where they sell tons of food, lots of little food stalls. And he mm -hmm. goes to the best food of Singapore. It's the best dish. It's called chicken and rice. And it's a very famous chicken and rice place in this mm -hmm. one hawker center. And this old guy, this, you know, amazing old master man is making this chicken and rice and Anthony Bourdain eats there. And that place, you know, of course, was already very famous, but blows up even more with the uh, international crowd. Right. And so, by the time I get there, this is already long past the Anthony Bourdain episode. And of course, there's always a line. So, we go. But my friend Mary, she was like uh, showing me around because she's from Seattle, but she moved there. And she was just like, you know, what's funny is the old man actually went two stalls down. He actually <laughs> left and there's no line there. And we just kind of, we just kind of bugged out. <laughs> and it was, um, it, wow. it's, it's just as good. You know, obviously it's, yeah, his, sure, it's original sure. stuff, but there wasn't a line. And I just, that's so interesting to me. 
That's that's really funny. And that's exactly right. And all those people, they're just in line because of the TV show uh, uh, episode. But the actual guy is two stalls down. That says a lot right there. I know. I know. It's so so it's funny that you said, and you know, like definitely San Francisco is uh, got a lot oh, of good I, food scene, God. good coffee scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like that's what like it's very easy to, to, to kind of complain about San Francisco, especially these days. But I'll say this. We've got some really good food and drink. Uh, out here, but uh, we do also have the lines and some very high prices attached. Are you are you up in Seattle? Yes, uh, or I'm up yeah, here in Seattle. <laughs> you, you, I, I hear, I hear that that you folks are starting to become more and more like us every day in terms of prices, especially oh, yeah. and cost oh, yeah. of living. Oh yeah, mm, don't do it, don't do it. We are San Francisco 2.0, not necessarily oh, better. I mean, I definitely yeah. love my city, but I, I mean, just like the tech companies are here and the, yeah. the, uh, the food and the gastronomy and the drinks and the coffee and the traffic and the people and, and the housing. Oh, and the, oh dear, yeah, that, the housing is what does it for me. Mm -hmm. It's just when housing is that expensive. I'm thinking Portland has just enough of the, the cuisine mm -hmm. and, and good, good food, but is still like much more reasonable yeah. housing costs. I'm I'm looking to maybe relocate to Portland. Oh, you know, I grew up in Portland. And so, did you really? Yes, did you like it? I loved it. Uh, Portland really? was very different 15, 20 years ago. Uh, sure. But now it, it feels like a larger, like, like, how do I say this? It's like if there was an eclectic neighborhood that was like your favorite eclectic neighborhood, either in San Fran or in Seattle. Yeah. Se uh, like Portland is just that one big city. <laughs> it's just like that, but yeah, in one big city. That's what I, I, that's what I like about it is I do like that sort of stuff, but I don't like this sort of prices and, and costs and, you know, million dollars for a, a, a two bedroom house sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I got a kid. I need a backyard. I need some space. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to be able to go out to dinner and it not be a hundred dollars for three people to have family night out on Friday night or whatever. So, definitely been thinking Portland, definitely thinking of relocating there. Yeah, and the food there is stellar. Every place we went to was amazing. We we went up the we took the family up on a preliminary exploration of Portland. Got everybody flew up there and spent 3-4 days there and every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks, even the most unlikely of places that we went into was extraordinary, transcendent. On the last day when we were flying out and we were in a rush, went into this place and I almost had had like a little bit of a fit because it looked terrible and, and you had to order at the counter and the dude was, was in the back doing God knows what. And and I, and I was just like, come on, come on. And he's like, oh, just have a seat, you know. And it, it was like, I thought, oh, God, this is going to this is like going to be a cafeteria food. And it was incredible. It was the best food. I was thinking of it this morning when I drove out for breakfast, wishing I could have it. It was so good and reasonably priced. And so even the most unlikely of places, we enjoyed every meal we had there. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At one at one place, two of the chefs were magic players and came out and said hi. Really, we were getting ramen, and it was delicious ramen. Like like I mean, uh, all ramen, of course. But like this was just again, every meal was extraordinary. And I I tweeted, I was like, I am having the best ramen of my life in Portland. And then next thing I know, 
not one, but two of the chefs, these, you know, like young kids, like 20 to 30, but they were in the chef's outfits, came out and, and they were just like, yeah, Professor, uh, we saw you tweet out and we thought that's got to be us. <laughs> and, and they came out to say hi. And I'm like, you're reading Twitter while you're making oh, whatever. It tastes good. But that's yeah, amazing. that was that was really funny. Wow, that is so amazing. Yeah, I was saying to David Ochoa not too long ago that if there was never ever another like GP Portland and we're like all in Portland, we need to go out and like eat all this great food. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be another GP Portland. I mean, they move well, actually, who knows after after this year? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Yes, the, the, the state of GPs. Gosh, we could, we could just talk about that. Sure. Mm. <laughs> Professor, I also wanted to ask you about parenthood and then working and then juggling a busy schedule, creating content and finding time to travel to GP's events and also playing a little bit of magic yourself. Yeah, well, uh, it's a funny joke that I tell, which is I sometimes have to say, sorry, I don't have time to play magic right now because I have to go make videos about magic <laughs> to my friends. And that's been a weird thing or like uh, it was actually at the first uh, or I think it was the for GP Las Vegas, the 2015 GP Las Vegas, where I actually went up there with a couple friends and they wanted to play magic. And I ha I was walking around saying hi to everybody. And it was like, I, I mean, I did play magic with a lot of people, but I couldn't just disappear into the GP like I maybe used to in terms of like, oh, I'm just going to grind out side events in the corner here all GP long. It was like, no, I every time I walk around, hey, hey, how's it going? And meeting everybody. And I actually really loved it. But I, I think a couple of my friends were like, man, why aren't you playing any magic? And it's like, yeah, I'm meeting people. I'm saying hi. I'm having a blast. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Friday night warrior, as they say. I'm much more interested in what's going on at the local game store. I, I certainly never play in the main event at a GP and I'm not competitive in that way. Uh, I don't have the desire or skill uh, to do that. It's a long, grueling affair. I just do not understand how you can do whatever, 13 games of magic back to back with no break for lunch. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm 37. I'm turning 38 in a couple months. I, I, I don't have that in me. Uh, I want to sit down, play some games of modern, and then get up and go use the bathroom and go get a burger. You know, I'm, I'm an old man. I've, I, I can't handle the, the main event. Uh, but I certainly enjoy them. I, I'd love to see an MTG convention, like a, a real one. I know people will say, oh, well, you know, PAX is kind of like that, or GP Vegas is kind of like that. I'd like to see a sincere, it is called the Magic the Gathering Convention or Con or whatever. And it's like Comic-Con, Magic-Con. I'd love to see Magic-Con or Gathering-Con or whatever. And that it's made, maybe there's a competitive event going on at it, but that it's made with the idea of if you love magic, you're going to come and there's going to be panels and and panels of the pros and panels of folks like you and me and 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 all kinds of fun stuff and tables and booths and just a, a whole celebration of all aspects casual and competitive and everything in between of magic the gathering sort of thing you can take your kids to i mean when you take your kids to a gp it's it's you know that not limited options there i think and so i'd love to see an actual magic the gathering convention eventually 
Yeah, I love that too. <laughs> Christine Sprankle has been talking about it for a while. Brian Rowe has been sure. also talking about it for a while. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I talked to Helene Bergeau and she was like, we hear you, we're working on it, but... And then it was a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. So, it's tough. Right. But uh, yeah. I, yeah. I wonder, I wonder how, how, how we could even... Gosh, maybe maybe the community members should put it on. Maybe we should find a tournament organizer well, or an event organizer. Yeah. Put it on. You need the, the the organization is the I mean everybody would be down. You nobody is gonna say, nah, that sounds dumb. No one's gonna who's gonna say now nah, that sounds dumb? But then how are you gonna run this thing? How are you gonna organize? You gotta rent the venue, you gotta you know, there's probably insurance, you gotta pay for it, so you gotta sell tickets, you gotta set that up. I'm not going to do that. Are you? I mean, like, that's crazy. That's an intense amount of work and organization. If Wizards doesn't do it, someone will think to do it eventually, I would hope. But it really should be Wizards that that does it or that does it in conjunction with someone else. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's got to happen sooner or later. Hmm. Yeah, I think it will happen sooner or later. Hopefully sooner rather than later. I agree. Professor, I wanted to ask you, what has it been like to have content creation as your full-time job? Ooh, exciting, exhilarating, but also uh, a little frightening because you don't know where you're going to be in five years. And that was the miserable thing about my previous job because I did know where I was going to be in five years. My previous job had no opportunity for advancement, no opportunity to ever become full-time. What I was doing each day would be what I would be doing when I was 40, 50, 60. And that's job security, I suppose, although it might not have been at the same campus, but it would have been the grind that I was doing. And as far as this is concerned, I often wonder, well, am I going to be doing this in five years? 10? 15, 20, in 20 years, I'm still not of retirement age. Uh, what, what, uh, is YouTube still a thing? Is magic still a thing? Am I still making relevant videos three times a week? It surely will transform in some, if not all of those areas into what? Into me going back to work at the community college? Maybe. I don't know. But there is also something exhilarating about this type of work because unlike my previous job, everything I do and everything I put out sees tangible return. I get more subs, I get more views, I get more comments, people watch it. I could have gone into work and I was actually, I was a real committed teacher, but I didn't have to be. I would go in and I would teach and I would be exhausted when I was done because I, I was a performer. I put so much, I would read stories and sometimes students would be snickering because they'd never seen someone care about anything. And I'd be reading a piece of literature and I would just be like getting into, the, I'll do a reading on the channel one day of, of something I taught, but I would really get into it and be like, and there are times where each land I went to, each continent that I visited, each face in which, and I'd really, you know, try and put weight onto it because we're talking about stuff that matters here. And I felt it and I meant it, but I'd walk out of the class exhausted and uh, it didn't mean anything to the school, 
the, my boss doesn't even didn't even know what I looked like. Uh, they didn't come in and watch me or anything like that. And I could have gone in and pressed play on a VCR, as many, many, many teachers do. And I would have gotten the same paycheck and I would have gotten the same enrollment next semester. But I can't do that on the YouTube channel. I can't just turn on the video and, and talk to the camera and be like, oh, hey, guys, uh, I don't, not much going on right now. Uh, just like <laughs> l- leave a message in the comments what your favorite white card is. And- <laughs> and uh, I'll see you later. I'm tired. I was up late night last night. I- I'm going to just, you know, that's it. Bye. And and like, I would not succeed that way. But also at the same time, when I do something where I put an enormous amount of effort into a video and I really work and I'm really like, oh, I've got something here. I've got something really cool here. I can see that return because then someone says, wow, this is really cool. Wow. You really put a lot of work into this, prof. Wow. This is, is really helpful. And that in turn means more views, more subs. Uh, maybe someone gives me a dollar on Patreon, which is great. And I, I see that return for the the enormous amount of work that I put in. And I am working harder than I've ever worked in my life. I'm working from 9 a.m. until, well, it's 7.45 p.m. now, and I'm, I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. this is part of that. It's not for my YouTube channel, but it's part of being a content creator is collaborating with other content creators. I mean, you don't live on an island, and uh, you, you need to do that. And I, I actually like collaborations. I'm, I'm glad you invited me on. I like to be able to take a moment to talk with, with you. Uh, here. But uh, it's a lot of work and I've never had to work this hard in my entire life. And that's what's exhilarating and exhausting simultaneously. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're talking about because my time playing magic has dramatically decreased. Yeah. <laughs> but my time yeah. making a podcast and reaching out to people in the community has also dramatically increased. And uh, right. that's incredibly rewarding. It um, is. It's so interesting to see the community from a different angle, right? To be ju- not just a player in the community, but also to be a contributor in the community. Well, I think we all contribute in our own ways. And one of the things I see as a uh, uh, content creator is that there are people who are just players that are also recognized for for their contributions just as as people. There's people on Twitter that I'm sure you follow and I follow. I could probably name a few. And they don't create content and they're not a pro player. They're just an awesome person. And and you'd look at them and it's like, oh, Talarian's following them. LSV's following them. What do they do? They don't do anything. They're just there. They're interacting. They're leaving a comment or a post or, or a message or retweeting you and they're they're ta- they're making a, a a Facebook post about helping someone who lost their deck or they're moderating in a Twitch stream or something like that and they're just a cool person and that's extraordinary I think that's really neat that then we go yeah cool follow yeah cool I know this person yeah cool you're gonna be at GP San Antonio I'm gonna be at GP San Antonio come on up and say hi let's get a good quick game. And so, there are many different angles. And I do know what you mean by that. And it is interesting seeing, as we would say in academia, when you go for, to your first teaching assignment, we would refer to it as going to the other side of the table, mm. uh, 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 going to the other side of the desk. And it's like, well, I'm still in the classroom. I, I just did, you know, eight years of, of, of undergrad and graduate school. And now I'm still in the damn classroom, but I am on the other side of the desk. And in some ways, 
the classroom is still the same thing. I mean, I would be like, oh, God, we're doing group work now. This is so boring. And it's like you're teaching the class, Brian. Yeah, but it still is. I never liked it, you know, and 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 then it's 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 like so it's the same ecosystem, the same environment. And yet you also are no longer a fish in the pond. You're you know, uh, uh, a deer drinking from it or an eagle swooping down, having to grab that fish or, or something. You changed your role in the ecosystem. You're, you're the tree now. And, uh, uh, maybe, maybe YouTube is the tree and, and podcasters are the hawk. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it is neat seeing it from that different angle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely means I can't walk into like just a, a game store anymore and be anonymous for the most part. I feel in a game store, I'm going to get recognized. And so I used to I used to before I had the YouTube channel, I love just floating into game stores. I'd love it. I'd just be like, oh, game store. Let's just float into it. And and I'd just be like, yes, sign me up for a draft or, or if I got my standard deck Friday Night Magic and sit down, meet some people, float out of it. It maybe wasn't a local one for me. And and now it'd be like, oh, so at least one person's going to say, oh, it's the professor and it's just like oh i gotta be you know like on a little bit Mm -hmm. you know and that's also cool in a way (laughs) and and it's also it's it's kind of like oh i can't just like the other day i i needed uh i forget what it was but something and i was just like i said to my wife can you just pick this up for me real quick i don't want to like deal with going in you know like it's like gonna be like you know can you just grab me these sleeves please That's too funny. Yeah, you can't just roll in there with like a LaCroix in your hand and just belch out a huge right. burp or something. You gotta right, right. <laughs> you need your tweed on or something. Yeah, well, it's 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 now it's it's led to a good excuse for me to be able to wear it to the game store. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. And professor, I wanted to ask you, who are some of the supporting cast members that you have, or who helps you shoot videos, or you do everything solo, or do everything myself, one hundred percent. Um, I shoot the video myself. I set it up. Uh, uh, I'm here t- talking from my my office. I, I have a couple of light boxes. I've got a couple cameras. I was able to get some, some more equipment recently because there was an increase in my Patreon. And that was great because I was like, oh, I can get that expensive you know, HD camera I, I really wanted to get and, and stuff like that upgrades for the channel. But as far as manpower is concerned, I write every video. Uh, I sh- set up the shots for every video. I shoot. And I, I, I'm literally turning on the camera and then walking around and sitting down <laughs> in the chair. Uh, uh, although the new one I got has a remote, which feels like a luxury <laughs> to not have to do the walk around. Uh, I'm still learning some of the settings, but yeah, it's great. And, and then I, I edit it and I had to teach myself. I mean, if you go back and listen to some of my older videos, the sound isn't as good, the video quality isn't as good. And I had to learn, okay, let's let's figure out how sound works. I'm a I'm a adjunct community college English instructor. I didn't know about sound. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about video and I'm still learning. And you know, people have been saying, can you do this? And I'm like, well, I probably I gotta figure out how. And it's just me. And then I edit it. Uh, editing takes a long time, producing it because and my videos are scripted. I've I've only done like one or two videos where I honestly just spoke without a script. Everything else is written on a script, read off of a script. And so it's a lot of work. Like I said, I, I literally send the kid off at 9 a.m. To, to nursery school. I pick him up at four. It's, it's walking distance. So I go down and pick him up, come in. Uh, he usually like maybe wants to watch a little show or something, or some days we play a bit. But then after dinner, a lot of nights, I, I go right back down after dinner and, and just work until I was up till about 12.30 a.m. last night, finishing up my video for this morning because I, I had to get it done. And so it's intense. And it, it stinks that it's just 
just me. I mean, I wish I had like a crew of people that it was like, you know, hey, we're we're best friends forever making a YouTube channel. <laughs> but but I'm afraid it's not that way. And uh, as much as I've tried to extend tendrils to other people to to kind of draw them in uh the most i can get is just like occasionally like an actor or, or someone to help with some aspect on a a one-time basis and you know it's it's just it's youtubing is really a solo gig for the most part at least this type of youtubing and so it's just me so it's been about me learning to be faster and better and more effective yeah that's i totally understand what you're talking about because when uh I have no idea how to do audio engineering and I had to put out a Craigslist <laughs> ad to be like, can can some guru please take me on and let me just pay you $20 to just tell right. me I'm not burning down the building here, please. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it worked out. And uh, definitely, I mean, your videos are just like, I mean, you're doing stop motion, you've got your hand, you're, you're placing everything, you're reading off a script. Uh, you have you have a couple mm-hmm. of uh, actors, friends from like your teach someone how to play magic. Sure, sure. That was a couple friends I asked to to, to join yep. me, uh, you know, but again, it's just like a friend helping out, you yep. know, being a, a, a character for an episode. Yep. <laughs> That's basically it. And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the bloopers too, you know, you, one of my funniest ones was maybe not so funny for you because, but you tossed a deck box up and it hit your collarbone and you're like, ow. Yeah. Oh, my collarbone. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, people like that. People like I saved that. You know, um, I, I, it's funny because people always ask like how much of what we see as a character, and the thing is, is that I kind of play a character in real life too. Like I am really the person who, if I were just in the post office and I, I like got a package the size of a deck box that I'd been waiting for and I go, yes, I would probably, you know, like I might throw it up and catch it. And if I missed and it hit my collarbone, I would probably literally say out loud, ow, my collarbone. And I really do like to dress in, in, in the suits that I wear and, and stuff. So I, I've got a bit of a character and eccentric person personality uh yeah like the the bloopers for when the products break down unexpectedly are always funny i I think i had one where the cards went flying everywhere and i hadn't expected that i was like let me show you how easy this lid comes off and it came off even easier than i thought it would and and it was like 300 cards all over the place you know a voice in my head is really annoyed because i have to pick those all up (laughs) and make sure they're all sorted right again and sometimes they're decks and that's just my own collection and stuff and then another voice in my head said good they saw because I always feel with a product review, I have to prove it more than anything. I always feel when you write an essay, uh, and this is what I taught you first generate your thesis. And then as I tell my students, you must assume that your reader does not believe you or act under that assumption, even if they might. And so imagine I've crossed my arms and looked at you after you said your thesis. And I said, prove it. What would you say to prove that thesis, even if it's an interpretation of literature? Prove it. Uh, Prove that's a valid interpretation. So I always think if I'm going to say this deck box is an A, I actually get a little nervous because I'm like, I have to prove this is worth that A. If I say it's a a fail or a D or a C or a B, I have to prove that that's what it's worth. And that's, you know, where when the cards go flying, I'm like, all right, they saw, you know, it's it's happy. Like, like for some reason, scratches on 
on sleeves don't show up very well on camera, at least how I've captured it. And I've literally had a few videos where I'm like, you got to take my word for it. These look way worse than I'm capturing. You can see it. And so you see it's there. I'm not making it up, but I really want you to trust me. These look even worse in real life. They're just not coming through on the camera and such. It's like, really, these things scratched up easily. You don't want them. They're going to get the considered marked cards. Wow. That's so interesting. (laughs) You know, Professor, I wanted to ask you, how do you give out grades, especially a grade that you're like, whoa, this is really garbage right now? A's and fails are the easiest. Mm. I mean, fail is easy. If, If the deck box literally breaks in a day of use or it damages like like I had a deck box that bent cards. (laughs) I saw that one. It's no question. I put the cards in, I took them out and the top cards bent. It's like, all right, we don't even need to go any further. That's like you turn in an essay and and it it needed to be five pages on Romeo and Juliet and it's a page downloaded off of Wikipedia (laughs) about uh, the Million Man March. And it's like, no, that wasn't the – this is a fail. I don't need to – well, did you read the Wikipedia article I downloaded? No, I don't need to. It's 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 clearly not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's when we get into that territory like bees with essays and with products are so frustrating because people are going to be like, well, why, why isn't this an A? Well, sometimes it's just not. It's just not. It's just isn't doing anything. You know, it's just it's not extraordinary. An A is for excellence, and this is this is very good. Uh, Why isn't it a a, a D then? I'm not. Then I'm not impressed. I'm not. I'm on the other side. I'm not impressed with this. Why isn't this just a D? Because it's good. It 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 does a good job. It's just not amazing. You know, it's in this B C territory. I have a kind of reference sheet that I use, and I do go by the idea of like if a product, let's say a deck box. If a deck box does what a deck box should do, but literally nothing more, like literally I give you one of those, you know the type, it's a plastic deck box, it's got a lid and nothing else to it. It's great. That's a C, right? It's satisfactory. It's it's three bucks at the store. And then you go a little further. You say, okay, well, it's actually, it's thicker and it's got a lid that snaps on and won't unsnap. It's like, all right, now it's like a C plus. It's a couple points in its favor. Uh, uh, Then you go a little further and it's like, oh, like like this one I have here. It's got a little, you know, tray that pulls out of it uh, uh, for, for counters. That's clever and that's nice and it just folds in and so, and it's not even more expensive than the kind that don't have it by the competitors and it's, that's that's all right. We're in B town. I mean, I, it's still plastic box. I can't say this is an A for a plastic box, but that's kind of the criteria I use. I save D for things where it's like I, I think of D as do not buy. <laughs> it didn't. It it didn't break the product and it didn't break itself. That's a fail. <laughs> Fails easy. If it breaks or it breaks the product or or something extraordinarily bad about it, that's a fail, and I reserve that. But if it's just like this deck box. You don't want. That's a D. A C is like, yeah, it's a deck box. There you go. It's a deck box. Not impressed. Not not impressed. You know, not not impressed. It's just doing its thing. That's a C. Uh, and then A is just when it's extraordinary, when this is excellent. It's blowing my mind. It's everything I could want and more. And then again, I need to prove that. And, I, you know, I know that that's part of the channel's appeal and it probably would be foolish if I had it to do over again to say, I'm not going to do grades because that's part of the appeal. And I understand that. But I, I would say that in a perfect world, I wouldn't do grades. In a perfect world, if you can picture one of my videos, I'd do everything the same. But then right when I get to the point where I say grade, I'd say, 
So what grade do you give this? And I think at that point, you're going to agree with the grade that I would have given anyway most of the time. But if you don't, if you looked at that B product and you go, whoa, I love that B product. That's great. That's an A. It's like, cool, go get it, man. It's five bucks out of the store. You know, uh, uh, that's fine. And nobody is going to look at the deck box that damaged, that bent the card and say, <laughs> that's, a, that's a C. That's a C. Everybody's angry when they see the cards get damaged. Uh, or, or, or like I had a binder. I just took it and I turned it upside down and all the cards <laughs> fell out. It's like, come on. Like, just picture opening up your backpack after you threw it in your trunk or whatever. That's, that's going to be a disaster. You don't want that. Uh, so, uh, the grades that the viewer gives are more important. That's the other misconception that I'm always kind of fighting against is sometimes there's this idea floating around where they're like, oh, and he he feels like his his word is the only way it is. And it's like, oh, God, no, I don't at all. I, I'm giving a grade because that's my, my job in a way, but your grade is the grade that counts. Disagree. I learn from you. I, I learn from, from hearing. I got thousands. I've got such an advantage. I've got thousands of voices talking to me. You know, uh, that's a huge feather in my cap. I hear about products for the first time through those thousands of voices. By the time this video comes out, I will have regrouped rated KMC Hypermats, which were an extraordinary product and the company got sold and the new owners downgraded the quality. And there's so much of the old product out there that when I go down to my local game store, they're selling KMC Hypermats that were made four years ago or whatever, three years ago, because they bought 8,000, their big store and stuff. And so I'd be buying them and I don't know, I don't see a problem. I didn't know they got sold. They don't announce this. There's no trade paper that I know of for like KMC sold to new company, new company cuts costs. So people started writing into me and they said, hey, these hypermats are, are not good anymore. And I'm like, what? And and enough people, and I'm like, well, I must have had a bad batch, dude. I'm sorry, that happens. And then five more people write in. Twelve. Whoa, that's not just a bad batch. So then I gotta investigate. So I go out, I buy a bunch of packs, and all of them are fine. And I'm like, what's going on? Every pack I bought is fine. Twelve more people write in. I go, okay, something's up here. I do some digging. I find out the company's been sold. I, I ask the stores. Turns out the stuff I'm buying is from before it was sold. Uh, uh, I, I get a hold of ones that are newly made. I test it out. They're bad. They're very bad. And I've got a video coming out hopefully next week. I have to show all this off and I have to say KMC Hypermats are no longer the sleeve they were. They used to be A quality and now they're, uh, well... You'll see, but pretty bad. Uh, not a fail, but but very, very poor quality now. And uh, that's because of viewers letting me know and talking to me. When I discovered the four portfolio, that was because someone said, check out this link. And so I have that great advantage. And I don't consider my assessment or evaluation or words to be like, this is how it is. Quite the opposite. I hate it when someone is like, oh, you expect that to be, you know, like just blindly obeyed. I'm like, no, I don't want you to blindly obey. Question, challenge. I'm a rebel. You should be too. I'm a critic. A critic is someone who stands up and says, I would like to offer a different perspective, but I think you should as well. Always challenge. Always, always question. That's part of being a teacher too. I love that because 
my favorite card sleeves up until this point have been KMC Hypermats. And if yeah, if you can get the oh. old ones, if you get the if if you know that they were printed, because there's so many of them out there. It's like Dragon Shield stopped making the classic style years ago at this point, but they made so many. They're in every store, and it's the same thing with the hypers, which is what caused a lot of people have been yelling at me like, "Why haven't you done the the regrade video?" And I'm like, "Because I needed to figure this out. I, I mean, it was really confusing because the packaging is identical with no, and I'm sure." they know this. I'm sure that this is a thing. They said, listen, all the good stuff's out there for years. We can produce bad stuff for cheap and sell it at the good stuff prices and make a killing. And by the time anyone catches on, maybe we'll have sold the company again and and stuff. I, you know, that's how business works, uh, unfortunately. Wow. Uh, so, it was really like you could probably go down to your local game store right now and the, the hyper mats on the shelf if you say, so when did these come from the factory? They might be like, oh, we, that's, we, you know, we, we have a stock room, uh, Sam. We've got a stock room with, with eight cases of these things. The blue ones, well, they just don't sell very much. We got those two years ago in the stock room. Uh, these silver ones are brand new from the factory, though. So you buy the blue ones, you buy the silver ones. The silver ones split. The blue ones are amazing. And you say, what's going on? Well, I'm going to try and explain it in next week's video. That's <laughs> amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. And you know what? There's just so much stuff out there as well. I used, um, you know, I still use those uh, Ultra Pro leather magnetic closure with a magnet symbol deck boxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. until I saw your video, which was years after you made the video, that I was like, wait a second, these things actually don't hold cards because you flip them upside down, you give them a very gentle shake yep. and your entire EDH yep. deck falls out of it. And uh, yeah. it didn't happen to me all while I was using it until just recently when I had to do a 75 card pickup, which is pretty funny. Oh, no. <laughs> but then I was just like, yeah, this is a real thing. And there's just too many of those things to go through. And when you're talking about players with their beloved collections and cards, and they really need to take good care of these things, you're doing a tremendous service because you're wading through, like, again, all that noise just to tell us what works and what doesn't. And I wish there was more of it, too. Like, I, I know I'm known as the review channel, but it's certainly not something that I think should be exclusive to me. It's a hard thing to do because you have to – to do it right, you have to get lots of samples – uh, so that's expensive. Like even I can't get free samples from most of these companies. If you do it, usually only the ones that I've previously given high marks to, and then they're like, "Hey, we'll send you some stuff." <laughs> and then as soon as I, and then as soon as I give, you know, I won't say a company name here, but like as soon as I give Company X a bad review, then it's just like, oh, we're not sending you anything anymore." It's like whatever, man. <laughs> you know, I, that's what I. That's what I've got. You know, the Patreon funds for. But uh, uh, it's really funny how the only time these companies will answer my emails is when I've recently given them a really glowing review, but then they don't want to hear from me if it's, I mean, like some of them get upset over a B. I get some dirty looks over a B sometimes, uh, but it's tough because if you want to do it right, you, you probably, at least with card sleeves, even with deck boxes, you want to get a couple samples. Like what if one of them was an error or an exception to the rule? You, you want to see what it's like. You have to test it over a long period of time. You have to articulate it. You have to shoot it from all different points that sort of thing. And it's, I can see how that's really rough, especially when there aren't a lot of MTG YouTubers, at least uh, above a certain level of subscribers. And so it's not a big, you know, playing field. It's growing, thank goodness. And I'm really happy to see that. But so far, I haven't seen too many other people doing critical reviews. Fascinating. Yeah.
in addition to physical products, you also talk a little bit about services as well. How often do you get to talk about things like Puka Trade or Scryfall or things like that? As often as I want. I mean, it's up to me. It's something that I determine. Like, for example, you mentioned uh, uh, Scryfall. That's on the list. I like it. I do also with technology, it's a weird beast because I can't rush out with a video when something is brand new because it might not be there in a month. And I actually had that happen with a really cool service that was called MTG Shoebox. And it was a, a great thing. It was like, put your collection in and it'll go take the same sort of uh, data that uh, MTG Goldfish tends to take. And it'll just tell you what decks you have in your collection and it says, just use us to store your collection. And uh, we'll tell you if you have any uh, winning decks or competitive decks. And if you don't, uh, we will tell you what parts of ones you have and what parts you need. And it was 100% free. Wow. Like, Darn, that's great. And it was, it, was, it was simple. I mean, it was not like some razzle-dazzle software. And it's, it's, I think it's still technically around, but it hasn't been updated in a while. And that's what happened was that it was just like – uh, I did a whole video where I said, this is really cool, like, check it out, it's free, so even if you don't like it, you didn't lose anything, and everybody liked it, and then some messages came in, it's like, hey, they're not updating, and it's like, nope, they're not, I, I don't have any control over that, and so, I, I, and I didn't, I didn't like that, because then it's like, I've got that video up there, I talked about other things in the video, so I'm not going to take it down, because I'm talking about five other uh, uh, services uh, in that particular video, and so that's no good, it's up there, and it turns out they didn't last because it was a lot of work to update and everything and they were free and so they didn't want to do it. Uh, and and that's fair enough, but uh, it does make it difficult when I want to look at something like uh, Scryfall and say, wow, I dig this. I got to ask, are they going to be around in six mm -hmm. months? Uh, you know, and of course, everything goes away. Products go out of business. I've got products I've reviewed that have gone out of business and that's going to happen, but I don't want it to happen in two weeks. I want it to at least still be there two weeks, two months from now, that sort of thing. But it's just basically a uh, docket. I, I've got a long list of videos that I need to do, and some of them are time sensitive, like if a set just came out and I'm doing Is It Worth It to Buy Modern Masters 2017, I don't want that to come out a month after Modern Masters came out because that would be irrelevant and not very useful to people. So I have to be like, okay, that's coming out now. Uh, uh, the new dual decks are coming out. I got to have that one come out when they come out because otherwise, what's the point in me saying, hey, this is a great buy three months after it came out and it's sold out and off the shelves and you weren't able to get it or me saying, hey, this is a terrible buy and it's three months later and you already bought it. And you're like, well, thanks a lot, professor. <laughs> uh, you know, so some things are time sensitive and then other things are not like I wouldn't think that a review of Scryfall is time sensitive. And that's actually what happens is then that gets pushed back till there's an opening for it, as it were. Uh, product reviews, I tend to compare and contrast. I've played around with some standalone product reviews. It really feels better when I'm looking at like four different brands of sleeve than when I'm just looking at one brand of sleeve, especially if it's getting an A, because then it really looks like an ad, which is my other nemesis is try not to make a critical review look like an ad. But if it's great and you're extolling its virtues, well... You know, it's going to, it sounds like go out and buy this and, and which it is, but it's not like a paid ad or anything. Uh, uh, but when it's just this one product by itself, it tends to start to look that way. 
so with sleeves like the new Ultra Pro Eclipses came out a while ago, but I'd been waiting to get three other sleeves ready to review, which I'm reviewing now. And so people are like, where's the Ultra Pro Eclipse review that came out already? And it's like, yeah, but I needed other sleeves. Otherwise, it would have just been a video for the Eclipses and they're getting a positive review. They're really cool. It'll have come out by the time this podcast is released. I like them a lot, uh, a lot, as you'll see in the video. I, I, they're, they're pretty much taking Hyper Matt's place. They're not the same level of quality, but they're, they're taking its slot wow. that it's being, t- it, they're great. They're amazing, uh, uh, and everything. But if I just did a video saying that, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that must be an ad. Ultra Pro paid me. Ultra Pro doesn't return my emails. You know, <laughs> uh, There's a company that doesn't like me. Uh, uh, and I've given them A's. I've given the, the Satin Tower an A. I just. Oh, I love the know, Satin Tower. Yes. Yeah. I ex- they don't they don't care. They just care about the fact I, I've pointed out that that $90 cardboard box wasn't worth it. But yeah, all right. <laughs> But the eclipses are the eclipses are really cool. The Ultra Pro eclipses, they're they're a great sleeve. That's too funny. Yeah. And uh, I totally understand what you're talking about in terms of reviewing services and technology and things. And, you know, like the most recent thing with technology was like this whole Puka Trade update. Like Puka Trade was like a gem before the big yeah. upgrade. And then there was like this solid period during the upgrade that was like a mess. Yeah. And now, I mean, now everything's fixed and everything's smooth and not buggy anymore, but it doesn't feel like the same Puka Trade anymore. Well, yeah, and that's a huge, you know, disaster story. Uh, you're not, are you not, you're not no, sponsored no, no, by Puka not, Trade or anything. Worry. Okay, good. I can't get in trouble no, no. for this. You know, but uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I won't touch Puka Trade with a, a 10 foot, you know, pole at this point because of that. And that was the sort of thing where I did do a sponsored video for them, but the sponsored video wasn't even a review. It was just how to use. It was like, okay, it's, it's confusing kind of system with the Puka points and the trading. And, and they said, and I used it. I was already a customer. And like you said, you described it as a gem. And back in those early days, it felt like that. And they said, God, people don't, you know, they said, could we sponsor a video? And you don't say anything like, like, you know, a a review of it, but you just help teach them how to use it. And I was like, okay, that sounds fine. And, and it ended up being, you know, something that they certainly plastered on their website and everything like that. And then as the set gets bad, that's still on their website and and it wasn't an endorsement of them but i i could see how it's still my face on them and and everything like that and then i had to come out and do a video where it was a review i did my review of puka trade when things were circling the drain and i had to say this is a disaster which is what it turned in it was just so terrible i had actually been preparing with Wedge of the Mana Source, who was also someone who was, he was actually, I believe, sponsored by them. And he was seeing these problems and saying more than like, he was like, I got to get out of the sponsorship. Like, and I got to let people know this is bad. And we had actually come up with a timeline for if they don't release future site by this date, we have to do a giant, like, this is unacceptable sort of video. Because you have to, if you remember, they funded future site through crowdfunding, which is, is crazy. And then it took so long for it to come out. And some of those upgrades were so simple. I mean, like, I'm not a computer programmer, but they sh- they're not a year's worth of intense coding. They can't be. And so, one of the things I was talking about, not just with Wedge, with other content creators, was 
at what point has it gone too far? And a lot of people were saying that, like, at what point, like, you know, you can go on Reddit and every day there's an angry thread or there's some, you know, YouTuber or, or podcaster or blogger that's going to be having an angry rant, you know, and good for all that. That's good. But at what point is it like we need to stand up as a community and say and, and call shenanigans yeah. on this? And and we had settled on we settled on a date. It's like a date to go to war <laughs> sort of thing. And it's like, listen, if, if Future Sight is not released by this date, we have to go and sound as loud an alarm as we can. Uh, we give them to the state and then they, they did it and it was a disaster. And so then we're in the position of, well, they just released it and it looks terrible and everything. But how long then we had to have the question is, how long do we wait until these problems haven't been fixed? And it's fair to criticize it because you can't come out day two after a brand new thing and say, hey, this is they're like, well, we'll fix it. We're fixing it. So, you know, we talked about it. And then eventually, at least for me. Uh, I mean, he he wanted to get out of that sponsorship because he was like, "Oh my God, what have I gotten myself involved in?" I mean, what a nightmare, right? Like, you're you're there's a gem as you mm -hmm. described it of a product, and then in such a short amount of time, and then you're attached to it and stuff. I mean, he he basically you know went null on his his contract. I think he was like, "I don't care, I'll pay back the money and stuff. I can't you know support this." And for me, it was like I have to do a, an actual review, and so I was like, I I did an instructional video how to use Puka Trade. It wasn't a review and now I need to do the review and the review is is no. Oh, no. <laughs> the review is this is not good. This is bad. It doesn't look good. This is unacceptable. I can't I and and the the end conclusion is is I would not I do not you know don't do use this. I don't recommend it. Uh, I hope it gets fixed and it's nice to hear that. I've been keeping an eye on it, but as far as I'm concerned, it's so volatile and and fluctuated so much. It would take a lot to get me to even touch Puka Trade again. I would need emails from users pouring in day and night saying it's the greatest thing ever. You have to tell, spread the word. It would take a colossal effort. As far as I'm concerned, the Puka Trade book is closed, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The thing is that I, I, I feel very sad about it because Puka Trade started off as kind of like this, oh my gosh, you can finally trade with people anywhere. Yeah. And uh for me, I was just like totally okay with all the bugs. I was in this weird, rare camp where I didn't really care as much about the bugs. I really cared about the economy because I would just be like, mm -hmm. I've got 40,000 Puka points and I'd love a scalding tarn and I would never see right. one. No. <laughs> I mean, I would never even see shock leads. Like I just never saw any value. But if I was just like random, random rare from a standard set and I get like seven of them, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, it's just like, but I'm not really getting anything. And so it's, it, it, it put standard players in like this throwaway category where it would be like, yeah, if you wanted standard stuff, you could get it, but you couldn't get chase standard stuff and you couldn't get any right. modern staple or legacy staple. Like, good luck. Right. Right. And that has a lot to do with confidence in the people using the system. Mm -hmm. But yeah, huge problems, huge disaster. And, and that's the other thing you have to really watch out for because there's a lot of stuff like that these days. Yeah, it's sad. But uh, I want to get them on the show to ask them what happened. I really want to talk to them. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Gosh, that's so funny. Is there any other any anything that you want to talk about? I'll, what I want to talk about is uh, you. What is your happiest memory with Magic: The Gathering? 
See, because your viewers, I bet your viewers never get to hear this. They never get to hear about you, Sam. So uh, if you're going to turn it over to me for me to ask a question, I'm always interested in the positivity of, of this game and experiences. And so uh, let's let your viewers hear what for you, their host, uh, was your, your most positive or happy uh, experience with Magic the Gathering, whatever form that takes. I think the happiest form of magic for me was even before I really started to play magic. I was a kid, and one summer I was cat-sitting for my neighbor, and this is when I lived down in Portland. And she worked for a company that helped Wizards of the Coast make packaging. And, you know, hmm. um, she went on vacation, and a week later she came back, and I took care of her cat. Her cat was happy and didn't die, obviously. I was a really good cat-sitter. <laughs> and uh, she was like, here's your 20 bucks, and here's just some sample booster products that you know I, I have from Wizards and I don't play Magic so so here you go and she was like don't tell anyone because I'm not supposed to really give people this stuff and I was like cool whatever I don't I don't know so and they were uh, <laughs> and they were from like the new set or something they were like from Urza Saga before they were released or something like that something really cool mm -hmm. so I like I took them home and I was like ah, this is awesome like I had never seen a booster pack before and I I mean I had Magic cards from just like something that like a family friend had given me so I like go home go to my bedroom and I'm like cracking these open there's like Nintendo power strewn about my room or whatever, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, I crack open mm -hmm. this pack and I'm just like, oh my God, this artwork. And it was so striking to me, this beautiful artwork. The first thing I noticed about, about it was just like how shiny like the booster wrapper was because it's like this metallic plastic. And the second thing I noticed was just like how amazing the borders of, of everything was. Those old school borders, every border was different. And like, you know, like the green and the red one looked different. And then like the white one had maybe even like a little bit of like opalescent dragon scales. The black one looked like it had warts on it. And that was, that was my most joyful moment because I was finally cracking through this first pack. And my first rare was a Sarah Sanctum. And I mm -hmm. didn't even nice. know what a Sarah... Yeah, I didn't even know what it was, but I knew that it was legendary. I knew that the little cogs were gold and I knew that it just seemed really special. And that is one of my most fond magic moments. And that was even before I, I even knew how to play the game. And I still have those cards. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm so glad you still have them too. I made the mistake of selling mine from from my early days. So that's that's nice that you still have yours. And it's just uh, so funny for me because, you know, playing EDH or whatever, I get to put a couple of those cards uh, in there and I get to like see them every once in a while. And uh, those those early Urza Saga, John Avon lands, you know, like the mountains and, and like those swamps and things like those, I, I hold very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And also, Professor, I wanted to ask you, how is your new office coming along? Uh, well, I've signed the lease, uh, or I, technically I haven't signed the final lease. I've signed the, the preliminary agreement. We, there's a shop that's going out of business that I'm uh, moving into the space. And basically, as soon as she's moved out, they need to, you know, like put in a new carpet and paint the walls for me and all that such. So it's a little time dependent on this little old lady who needs to get out of there but no, she's not being evicted or anything she's she's <laughs> she's she's retiring of her own free will because the VHS rental business just isn't what it used to be and so uh, I got dibs on that place and uh it should be at the latest at the latest at the end of April first week in May but there's a shot that things might move a little more rapidly it felt like a long time ago when I first 
first expressed interest and they were like, yeah, it'd be like first week in May at the latest, maybe mid mid April. And when I first was like, oh, this is perfect for me. And they said that I was like, oh gosh, that's an eternity. But it's, <laughs> it's this is everything, especially price wise and, and size wise, like for San Francisco Bay Area, I can't do better than this. This is worth waiting for. And it also let me spend some of that Patreon money on camera and computer equipment and things I needed anyway, uh, because then now that's going to rent. Yeah, I'm really thrilled because it's it's so much larger and I'm so cramped in here, especially with products like I just have nowhere to put anything. And, you know, I have to rearrange the camera and the light boxes so much in this tiny closet sized office. It's it's probably filled with mold. You know, <laughs> I, I'm so I'm so glad to be getting out. I'm a little worried about the fact that, you know, at the very least right now when I'm done with this, I go upstairs to my wife and son and uh, with an office that I drove to. I'm a little removed. Uh, like I said, when my son gets off daycare, I just walk around the corner and pick him up. And uh, that might be something that now my wife is going to do most days because I'll be, you know, at the office. So there's a trade-off in that regard, but it also might mean more that I would say to you next time we were talking about a podcast, oh, I don't work in the evenings. I'm at home with my wife and kid. Uh, I'm in the office from nine to five. And so maybe it'll add up giving me a good slice of my life back. Uh, either way, I'm really happy and excited to be able to get in there and start uh, setting up. That's amazing. So yeah, now you're going to have like this dedicated studio production space. Oh, it's going to be so great. And I can't thank the people who uh, felt that I was worth it enough. I just cannot thank everyone for believing in my business in that way so that I could do this because uh, uh, it's what enabled me to be able to get that office, to get that computer equipment. Uh, it's incredibly expensive to run a, a business uh, as your full-time job. Uh, the costs are, are so – like all this stuff I didn't know about and 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 funny stuff too where like, you know, the the I had to form a corporation for tax purposes, mm -hmm. an official – I had to go file a corporation and that costs money, by, by the way, just by itself. But then the corporate corporation has to pay me in order for me to get a paycheck. And so then like, so like with the Patreon or sponsorship, that uh, the YouTube money that all goes to the corporation and then the corporation pays me and then that's taxed. <laughs> then there's a way it's, it's unbelievable. It's like I have to pay myself and then be taxed for paying myself. And, and then we need, and because of that, we need a bookkeeper because it needs to be done officially. And so the bookkeeper needs to file, you know, do this. And when I buy uh, uh, the deck box that the bookkeeper has to write, you know, all this stuff. It's on and on and on. I could talk your ear off about this. All this stuff behind the scenes. I can see why people start to then get an administrative assistant just to do this stuff. Uh, uh, it's it's an extraordinary amount of behind the scenes work just to put out YouTube videos. But since I want to do that as my job instead of just uploading one video every now and then and 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 this and that, that's where we are. And so uh, I'm so lucky that this community has has said, yeah, you know, uh, we'd love to to keep keep you around in that capacity and support you and, and keep watching you. And I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I hope I can uh, keep doing it. I'm glad I did it. I hope I can keep doing it. And I really, really will try and pay back, you know, in kind with the content that I put out. That's so amazing. Do you have any new segments or new video ideas or anything that you're going to like take advantage of that space with? 
Uh, oh, wow. With the space, I, I definitely want to set up an area like right now. I, you literally, if, if Sam, if you were with me, like, like if you were visiting San Francisco and I said, hey, come on over, let's do a video together for the channel and stuff. I don't have a place for you to sit other than op <laughs> opposite my desk. Like if we wanted to do, if I said, I'm going to do the Talarian podcast with you, we're going to sit down and talk in my office, I don't have that space. Like one thing I'm really excited is I want to get like a couple of chairs and microphones and have a kind of like guest area space where when it's not for a skit, but it's like, oh, wow, this person's in town or 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 whatever, I can have them come over and and do like the Charlie Rose show or something like oh, that. I would love that. Where we're, yeah, <laughs> you know, where we can sit down in the, the space and do that. Uh, definitely just the ease of like, I mean, I've got this, you've seen in the videos, this tiny little desk. And that's what I put my sleeves and deck boxes on. And it's very hard to get certain angles and set up around it. And every time I do, I have to clear off the desk. I have to clear off the space. And so I'm going to have a section of this new you know, office where it's like, this is the product review area. This area has the products and the table and a certain size table and the camera rig around it so that I can show the right angles. I can show it off better. Uh, uh, it's easier for me to do so. So there's less stress. I get higher quality. And, and then I can have my own little quote unquote set with my desk and my bookcases on another corner of the office. And that could be my real desk and, and stuff because I have paperwork I need to do involved with the business and such. <laughs> so so that should be really nice. I mean it's not like huge. It's not like an emporium or anything. It's <laughs> it was a it was it was a little shop. It was a cute little shop and, and now it's gonna be a cute little community college office as it were. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it would be funny that now that you're you're in your future videos you're gonna be running from set to set trying to right, <laughs> like right. a one man news program it's not that big you're making it sound way it's 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 really not that large it's 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 a it's a little annex thing you know it's not that <laughs> big i don't know this i don't have the square footage in front of me but it's bigger than my office but i'm not running from set to set it's not a warehouse <laughs> <laughs> i love it well i'm definitely going to be sending you an office warming gift later on so Ooh, exciting <laughs> wonderful brian other than the new office what else is new for you what's on the horizon I suppose what's on the horizon is just growing the channel. Um, I'm going to be going to GP Vegas along with most other people in the community, but we've been invited by Channel Fireball to put on a live Dies to Removal, which was our short-lived podcast that uh, Wedge from the Manasaurus and myself did. And so that should be, talk about earlier in the program, the idea of an MTG convention. That's still in the works, but they definitely agreed to that. And and uh, so we're going to uh, uh, be doing a kind of a live cast while at GP Vegas for an audience. And, and so that's very exciting. By the time this airs, that'll be coming up pretty soon. So I would say that's the big thing on the horizon is GP Vegas. I love it. Yeah. Well, Professor, I have some rapid fire questions. All right. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Red, because it is the color of impulse, but also of emotion. It is the color that is going to have the best sense of humor about itself. <laughs> it is the color that is going to be most likely to give in to longings of the heart. And at the end of the day, I am an old school romantic. Uh, and while intellectually, I'm attracted to blue 
in reality, much as I dropped out of my gifted magnet science program, uh, I will fall instead into the realm of red. Wonderful. And would you pair it with a, another color, like as an blue, blue, blue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I got red and blue. I got a little bit of black in me too. Oh my god, I'm Grixis. You, <laughs> you. Hashtag not all Grixis. Uh, you know, like we've got to like just be, you get one elder dragon planeswalker going around. You know, like like ruining the multiverse, and suddenly everyone who's who's Grixis has a bad reputation. You get one shard, one shard of Alara that's a living hellscape, and and suddenly that's Grixis for you. It's very unfair portrayal. <laughs> no, I, I I've got all the colors in me. I would say the color I have the least in me is is probably green, mm-hmm. which is funny because I'm a major environmentalist and I wanted to be an animal biologist and study animals and and such. But just in terms of that color, I I probably have that in me the least. Red and blue, black and white is in there too. Some days I feel a little esper, but most days just mono red or is it? Mm, Wonderful. Professor, question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? The cost of being able to play in terms of largely competitive uh, decks. But also, I mean, draft isn't cheap either. I think that, you know, uh, the idea that every week you're going to go in and drop 14 to $17 to draft for an evening of gameplay is a lot for a lot of people, especially younger people or people on a budget. Definitely, if you've watched my channel, I've I've complained about the cost of, you know, oh my goodness, $700 just to get the lands for this deck. I, I feel that's a big problem. And I do like cards having value. I like trading cards. I like cards having value. I just feel it's a bit too much at the moment. Modern Masters 2017 was a big success. But I think that when you're looking at a modern deck and that modern deck costs, you know, the amount of a 2012 Corolla – that uh, you've you've got some problems with your game in terms of financial accessibility. So I would say the cost. That's so interesting that you brought that up. You know, not too long ago, Wizards had this whole like uh, build your own format contest, or, or I think it was a build your own cube contest. And it really got me thinking about making a cube. And everyone was like mm-hmm. going out of their way to do really like flavorful cubes. But what I ended up doing is I went home and I went through all of my old commons and uncommons and junk rares and bulk rares and things. And I just said, what's fun? And I was thinking about making kind of like a casual cube. And uh, other guests on the show, uh, Chris Furter, has talked about... um, you know, what would it be like if, if Wizards sold a cube? And I've always been really interested because, as, you know, whenever I go into a card store, and I'm sure you've gone into lots of card stores, there's a ton of old product that's just sitting there collecting dust, commons and yeah. commons, and they all have had a function. At any given time, they all used to be, quote unquote, new cards that people would draft and talk about, right? Mm-hmm. I've always thought about what would it be like to revitalize casual cubes, take all of these cards that are just sitting in basements and never seeing the light of day, and then putting them into Mm -hmm. cubes that are flavorful and meaningful, and then playing with them again, and they could be pennies on the dollar for for things. It would be like the equivalent of busting out Risk or Monopoly. You'd bust out the casual cube, 
Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, on the other hand, too, there's also just the popper cube, Mm -hmm. which you can put a popper cube together for pretty cheap. Obviously, the optimal popper cube build is still several hundred dollars, but there's some budget popper cube builds. Like in the popper cube itself, there's really only like half a dozen cards that are contributing to that like three, four hundred dollar cost. And if you take those out, it's still the popper cube and you can put it together for like a hundred, two hundred bucks. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was even thinking about maybe this casual cube even may, may, being made out of like penny or five cent cards, and the whole thing cost you thirty to sixty bucks, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Slaved. yeah. Interesting. Okay, Professor. Question number three: If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Now, do you want the uh, the the practical Magic based answer, or like the more? Do you want the red mana answer? <laughs> Any answer you want to give, Professor. I'd say forgiveness for we all want to be forgiven for something. And so, I, I would say forgiveness for that thing. Oh, I love it. Wow. That's wonderful. Professor, question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Ooh, definitely not digital. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, listen, I wish, I'm not rooting for them to fail in their digital endeavors. I'm not, I have nothing but well wishes and hope for success. But I am highly pessimistic in this area. I do not have confidence in their ability to transform magic into a dynamic digital presence. I do not think that is what this company is good at. I think they have demonstrated how they handle digital to such a degree that you cannot turn on a dime. I think they're going to, and I just, I do not think magic's future is in digital. If I were to be giving them advice, I would say, stop obsessing over Hearthstone Look at what you do that Hearthstone doesn't and can't and invest all that money that you've put into Magic Digital Next into that other area instead, because that's where you succeed. You're never going to beat Hearthstone. You're never going to compete with Hearthstone. Anytime anybody says, we're going to make the next World of Warcraft. No, you're not. You're not. The end. You are not going to be the world of, uh, we're the iPhone killer. No, the only thing that's going to kill the iPhone is Apple. Like not you uh, and not your new product that is just trying to be the iPhone, but not quite. Or just trying to be World of Warcraft, but not quite. Or, oh, look at all that success this other company that does what we cannot do is having. What if we try and do that? No, you do something else. Discover your strengths and invest in them. I love that. Stop doing the comparison thing. Yeah. Sick of it. I'm sick of hearing them lament Hearthstone. It's just whatever. Yeah. I, like it, it to me, it's as crazy as them lamenting iPhone sales. Can you imagine if Wizards of the Coast is like, look at all these iPhone sales. Look at this. We got to build a Wizards of the Coast cell phone. How much confidence would you have in that? <laughs> That's about as much confidence as I have in Magic Digital Next. Interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. And last, Professor, do you have any asks or requests of the audience? I would ask this audience to remember that when you sit down at the table across from someone or when you log in to the internet, yes, I know, that this is a community that not entirely but largely is made up of people who have come from different backgrounds, who have suffered a lot of grief. Many of us felt like outcasts growing up. Many of us still do. And for all our disagreements with one another, it's important to remember that we don't want to overtly or intentionally give each other grief. We've all had too much grief in our lives to do that, I said in a recent video, and I really believe that. 
That's really what makes this community great is when you recognize that the person sitting across from you has hurt, maybe not in the same way that you have hurt, but has hurt, and you extend that hand instead of retracting it. That's what I'd ask. If you can, do that. Wise words. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Professor. And where can they find you on social media? You can find me on social media on Twitter at Talarian College, uh, Facebook at Talarian Community College. I don't know the URL. Just type it into <laughs> Facebook and on YouTube. Again, just just you can just type in Talarian Community College. Just go to the YouTube channel, though. I don't care about Twitter or Facebook that much. Like, I mean, I'm on them, but uh, go to go to the YouTube channel. That's where my work is. Check me out there. I'm on YouTube. Just type in Talarian Community College into YouTube. You'll find my channel, and uh, I hope you find those videos useful. Absolutely. And we'll have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And I will also say, listeners, if you really care about what the professor is doing, the Patreon matters. Supporting the professor on Patreon, Tularian Community College on Patreon, it's made a difference. I mean, look at where it's come. Like, the professor now is able to have a a real office and able to get better <laughs> camera angles on those card sleeves and things. And, you know, that kind of stuff makes a big difference. So, please, if you're thinking about, if you're on the cusp and you're thinking about it, please head over to patreon.com slash Tellarian Community College and support. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today on Kitchen Table Magic. I just wanted to thank you. And I just also wanted to acknowledge you because for everything that you've done, you've really contributed to this magic community. Like I said earlier, those videos about sleeves, supplies, tech boxes, tech techs, budget magic, returning to magic, all of that stuff are, you know, I feel like I take those for granted sometimes, but you put them out there, you put your heart and soul into it, and the magic community is a better off place for it. And of course, congratulations, you've got over 200,000 subs, and that's a wonderful accomplishment. You got your silver YouTube button. I think it's all well-deserved, and I'm really happy with what you're doing. And you're also encouraging a lot of people in the magic community to be able to stand up and make content like this and enrich our lives. So, Professor, thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Well, thank you, Sam, for having me here today. It's been a real pleasure. And I think as a final thought from me, I'd like to take this opportunity to read you a few lines from one of my favorite poems by the poet E.E. E. Cummings which goes, You shall above all things be glad and young, for if you're young, whatever life you wear, it will become you, and if you're glad, whatever's living will yourself become. Girl boys may nothing more than boy girls need, and I'd rather learn from one bird how to sing than teach 10,000 stars how not to dance. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the professor. Go say hi to the prof on Twitter at Talarian College. You can find his videos on YouTube. And for enrollment information into TCC, go to Talariancommunitycollege.com. All of the links will be in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And if you're going to be going to GP Vegas 2017, the professor will be there. So give him a hug and a high five. Just a few more announcements before we preview the guest for next week's show. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. 
At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's show. I want to thank my new Patreon supporter, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan, for supporting KTM at the $6 level. You'll be getting some cool gifts in the mail. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. And I hope you've had the chance to listen to some past interviews in seasons one and two. The content I make is evergreen, so you can listen to them until the end of time and they will still be relevant. I'm so grateful that many listeners have found the show and I will continue to make content that is high quality and meaningful for the community. I am now preparing for season three and if you'd like to get early access when season three premieres in the fall, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic and become a supporter. For just a few bucks a month, you'll be getting access to extra audio content, behind the scenes show notes, and special gifts from my interviews. Patreon supporters at the $6 level get special gifts from my interviews. The next episode is the season two finale and I have a very special gift lined up for all of my Patreon supporters. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. I would like to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, James L, Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, and Jonathan for your generous contribution. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. Thank you. Thanks to everyone tuning into this week's show. I'm always here to connect with you and answer your questions. Email me, sam at kitchentablemagic.org. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash kitchentablemagicpodcast. Follow me on Twitter at KTM Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and mtgcast.com. Coming up on the Season 2 finale of Kitchen Table Magic.
It's sometimes sobering to look back at that time and remember that I wasn't entirely sure you could design a game like that. Now it seems obvious there's uh, many games that follow it, and also I've learned the right parallels between other games, like war games, uh, where you can buy your own units or something like that. But at the time, I was thinking, well, you know, it was like if you have your own deck and you're playing poker, uh, that's not super exciting. And if you have your own deck and you're playing bridge, well, that's not very exciting. And so the parallels I was drawing weren't yielding fruit. I took this idea and tried to combine it with other games I had in the closet. Until that point, it had a lot of flavor that Magic ultimately acquired, but it had none of the mechanics other than this relationship between mana and land. And uh, everything sort of fell into place. I'm talking to the creator of Magic the Gathering, Richard Garfield. Richard is the first planeswalker. He created the multiverse where we reside. He created the plains, islands, swamps, mountains, and forests where we mages derive our mana from. And he lit our planeswalker spark that carries us from Dominaria to Mirrodin to Ravnica, Zendikar, Innistrad, Amonkhet, and beyond. Richard tells us about how magic began and how it evolved into the game we know today. Join me and Richard Garfield as we talk about the best game ever created, all on the season two finale of Kitchen Table Magic. 